0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series, Amazing Promises to Dysfunctional People. So let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 to 21, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Surrendering to Grace.
1: In his autobiography, New York Yankees longtime manager Billy Martin told a story about how he had once gone hunting with Mickey Mantle. Mickey had a friend whom he believed would let him hunt on his large ranch in Texas. And when they reached the ranch, Mickey went in to talk to the friend while Billy Martin waited in the car. Mickey's friend gave him permission, but he said, I need you to do me a favor. I have a donkey out in the barn which is blind and it's suffering, and I've loved that old donkey. And you go back there and shoot it because it's a mercy, but I can't get myself to do it. And Mickey Mantle agreed after a long discussion about the donkey. And when he came to the car, Billy Martin had been waiting for him and he said, what's up? Now, Billy Martin was known as a man who had fights with everyone. He had a a drinking problem. He had frequently broken relationships. He had been fired and rehired as the manager of the Yankees five times just because of a bad temper. And Mantle wanted to play a joke on Martin. So Mantle explained that he had had a fight with his friend and that his friend had said, under no circumstances will I let you hunt on my property, and that they'd been arguing about it until now. In fact, said Mantle, I'm so mad right now, I'm going to go back to the barn and I'm going to shoot his favorite donkey. And with that, Mickey Mantle jumped out of the car, grabbed the rifle, walked over to the barn and shot the donkey. And when he looked around, thinking Martin was behind him, he found Martin was gone. And then he heard a shot, and Martin came running from the back of the barn, and he said, we'll show that guy. I just shot one of his cows as well. (laughs) Now, Now, many of you know that relationships are easily destroyed, either by anger or mistakes or taking advantage of someone or by selfishness or in hundreds of ways. And once destroyed, how difficult they are to restore. We're studying the life of Jacob. You know, furthermore, this series from Genesis 26 to 35 is entitled, Amazing Promises to Dysfunctional People. And as we're gonna to find today, wonderful things can happen to dysfunctional people when they finally surrender to the grace of God in Christ. As Two second Corinthians 5, 17 teaches, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The oldest passed away, behold, the new is come. And that's the wonder of conversion. Everything becomes new. But that leaves us with a question. What do dysfunctional people do with the damaged and ruined relationships they've left behind? Well, stay with me. We last left Jacob. He was leaving the broken relationship with his father Laban behind. So let's finish Genesis 31. I'm reading verses 51 to 55. Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban rose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned home. After 20 years of exile, Jacob is going home. The door is permanently closed. The other will be open. But at this point, the way home should not be thought of with, you know, John Denver's song, Take Me Home, Country Road playing in the background. Home's not a friendly place. Home's where he had deceived his father and brother. Home is where he had left a broken relationship with his brother and fled for his life. Home is where there was trouble and dysfunctional relationships and anger and mistrust. And as he approached the land of Canaan, he's met by the angels of God. Here I'm reading chapter 32, verses 1 to 2. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanaim. You know, 20 years earlier, when Jacob was leaving Canaan at a place called Bethel, he was also met by the angels of God. The angels were there when he left, and they're there again when he returns, and the significance of that is not lost on Jacob. He takes this to mean that God has watched over him and has directed his paths the entire time he was with Laban. And as he pitches his tent and makes his camp for the night, he calls the place where the angels met him Mahanaim, two camps. Here, he believes, is both his camp and God's camp. We're talking about surrendering to grace. I will say that surrendering to grace means living life in two camps. For Jacob, this meant his fight with Esau, his run for his life, his fight with Laban, his two wives, his two concubines, his 12 children, and many servants and animals. That was his camp. That was his experience in life. This camp, in effect, told the story of his life. One camp is the camp of human experience filled with brokenness and dysfunctional relationships. The other camp is the divine explanation of life. That's what Jacob is now beginning to understand. God had allowed such brokenness into his life to drive him to the point where he would surrender to grace. That's what all of this is about. What an incredible moment of revelation it is for any one of us when we no longer view our life's dysfunctional family relations as merely bad or unfortunate experiences, but rather events orchestrated by a sovereign God who has been moving us to the moment of grace. Could it be that all of our sins and messed up relationships were intended all along to drive us to God? Could God have allowed all of this so that we would have no further options but to surrender? Did you know that our failures can either drive us away from God or to God? It'll be either one or the other. We either go our own way or we go God's way. And for Jacob, everything is about to become new. He's about to surrender to grace. Watch what Jacob does next. He's at the Jabbok River, a river that runs into the Jordan River. It's a river that today runs through the nation of Jordan. And so Jacob now considers himself at the boundary of Canaan, and he sends messengers to Esau. He hasn't seen Esau for 20 years, and the last, Esau was angry enough to kill him. So if Jacob comes home, this is the one thing he must confront. Let's continue to read chapter 32, verses 3 to 6. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight." And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Notice two things in the passage. First, Jacob's messengers are to address Esau as Lord and speak of Jacob as Esau's servant. The chosen language here should catch us because when the two brothers were young, Jacob was determined to prove his superiority over Esau. Well, now he no longer feels that way. God has humbled him. Jacob has met Laban and has had to confront how painful it is to abuse, to deceive, and to cheat another. And Jacob is sick of his old attitude. Instead, he will treat his brother with humility. And second, Jacob instructs his servants to tell Esau that Jacob has plenty of wealth. In essence, he means to communicate something that's vital. In the past, I may have been interested in cheating you. Today, I want nothing that is yours. And with that, Jacob waits, and the messengers finally return. Your brother's coming, and with him come 400 men. Jacob has, of course, not known what Esau has been up to while he's gone. But even as Jacob has had his adventures, Esau has had his own. We find that Esau has been living in Seir, in the very place where his father had sent him away from the riches of the earth. The riches of the earth is a part of the blessing that Esau can't have now. But Deuteronomy 2 verse 12 says, The Horites also lived in Seir formerly, but the people of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and settled in their own place, as Israel did in the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. Now, since we know that Esau was living in Seir when Jacob sent messengers to him, And since we know that this was accomplished by destroying the Horites in battle, it then follows that the 400 men who were coming to Jacob with Esau were in fact 400 battle-hardened troops who would take life without a second thought and who were used to victory. Now, I'm sure that the messengers communicated all of that to Jacob. And so with this happening, I find it no wonder that Jacob now hearing this news is absolutely terrified. He will not escape his past after all.
0: Sarah wrote, Dr. Newfeld brings scripture to life with depth, practicality, challenge, and hope. The world has changed, technology has made everything closer. Ministries have changed and yet Back to the Bible has remained constant in its values and teaching and has embraced technology, all while making sure the gospel is not diluted. You do a marvelous work and I look forward to hearing you every day. You know, messages like this help us feel like we're hitting the mark. And with God's blessing, people of every age and background are being impacted through faithful Bible teaching. Our special thanks to all those who listen and support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Your encouragement and commitment means so much. So please continue to stand with us with your prayers and gifts, and Back to the Bible Canada will continue to do all it can to impact lives with the gospel. You can join us in this effort with your financial support by calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or by visiting backtothebible.ca.
1: Jacob has just heard that Esau is bearing down on him with 400 battle-hardened and seasoned men of war, and he's helpless. Let's read Genesis 32, verses 7 to 12. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father, Abraham, And God of my father, Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob divides his camp into two so that if these armed fighting men come upon one camp and slaughter them, it will take time and the other half might be able to escape. That's the only protection he has. I hope you've learned a lesson here. Jacob may be at the point where he will surrender to the grace of God, but often, surrendering to grace involves confronting our sinful past. I know of some people who will say, you know, that happened before I was a Christian and I don't have to deal with that anymore. And by that they mean, you know, either their divorce or their children or their mom and dad or their family. And What I'm about to say may be painful for some to hear. Surrendering to grace means confronting our dysfunctional and sinful past. Do you know that reconciliation is costly? It cost God his son. I've spoken to Christians who have paid back those from whom they have stolen money. That's what Zacchaeus the tax collector did. And when he did it, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. How about you? What would you give to make matters right? Right. But Jacob not only confronts his past, he also humbles himself and he bows the knee to God. Notice that in our passage now, we find for the first time in the book of Genesis that Jacob actually prays. Does that surprise you? Oh, I know that 20 years earlier, he tried to bargain with God, but he did not then bow his knee and surrender and pray. He didn't do it either all those years when he was locked in a battle of wits against his father-in-law. But he does it now. And when you think about it, that's not surprising. God has placed him in a narrow place and he can't escape. He may die in the morning. He doesn't know. You know, lots of people have prayed in times like that. But listen to how he prays. He doesn't attempt to bargain with God. He doesn't promise to do something for God if God will do something for him. And he's not desperately begging either. Notice the three things he does pray. First, he identifies God for who he is. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God who spoke to me at Bethel. I bow before the God who exists, not the God I want to imagine. I therefore bow to God, not to my fancy, nor to my idols. Second, notice he acknowledges his poverty and God's riches. I love the words of verse 10. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant, for with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. These words are altogether lovely. No demands here, no bargains, no desperation. In its place come words that took Jacob all his life to realize, and he confronts it in a moment of desperation. God, I am unworthy of all the good things I have received. Well, he could tell God he was a sinner and a cheat and a thief, he was a man who wronged his brother and notwithstanding all of his sins, he has experienced only the kindness of God. That kindness was undeserved. That kindness was a reflection of God and not a reflection of Jacob. You know that until that truth sinks in, you simply can't be saved. It's a profound truth to come to God and to realize that God doesn't owe you anything. But Jacob knows it when he faces his brother. But even so, he knows he's been treated better than his sins deserve. You deserve only hell, but he's given you life and breath and food and wealth. Your life is not half as miserable as it deserves to be. That's called grace. Now, third, Jacob appeals to the promises that God has made. In verse 12, he recounts the promise God made to him. He says, but you said... I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, verse 12 is not bargaining with God. Verse 12 is how we are all supposed to pray. We are to call to mind the promises of God and then with great boldness lay hold of them, not because we deserve those promises, but rather because God has made those promises. You see, when we plead with God, we're hoping that God would see some good in us and respond appropriately. That's called ego-driven praying. But when we pray by claiming God's promises, we're in fact telling God three things. One, God, you have made promises to me. Two, God, you're a God of integrity, and I know full well that you can be counted on to always act in accordance to what you have said. And three, Therefore, in the end of the day, all glory goes to you and not to me. (laughs) Same's true for us. When I have sinned, I don't ask forgiveness because I deserve another chance, no, no. I ask forgiveness because I know that God has made promises. I go to God boldly because he made me a promise that if I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that he was crucified for my sins and raised for my justification, that if I believe this, he will save me. He promised that, and I lay hold of that in faith. Saving faith lays hold of the promises of God and those promises alone. It says, my only hope are the promises. Outside of that, I have nothing. Pray on the basis of the promises in the cross, and you're going to be saved. Pray any other way, and there is no hope at all. Did you notice that Esau's 400 men are still coming? Did you notice that Esau is still offended with his brother? There's still another crisis on the way. Yeah, that's true, but still everything has changed. Jacob has found grace. So let's keep reading. Verses 13 to 21. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys." Now, from the best of my reading, this was an extremely large and expensive gift. It was way over the top. And just when you think Jacob is desperate, think about it from another angle. In verse 20, he uses the word appease. In the Hebrew, that literally means to cover someone's face or to take a cloth and wipe his face. In context, it means with this gift, I wish to wipe the anger from your face. know in Victor Hugo's masterpiece, Les Miserables. Jean Valjean, a man just out of jail, is given grace. He receives lodging in the home of a bishop. But in spite of that grace, in the night, Valjean steals expensive silverware from the house, and he runs away in the night only to be caught by the police, who find a bag in his hand filled with the silverware from the bishop's house, and he's brought back to the bishop. The police ask the bishop if this is his silverware, to which the bishop looks at Jean Valjean and says, I am so glad to see you. And then looking in the bag filled with the silverware, with the police watching, he says, Well, but how is this? I gave you the candlesticks too, which are silver like the rest, for which you can get 200 francs. Why did you not carry them away with the forks and the spoons? And when the police are gone, Jean Valjean realizes he will not go back to jail. And so the bishop now speaks to him. Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you with this silverware. I withdraw it from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. Ha, that's an expensive gift for the remission of sins. That's what Christ provided for us will you claim that promise or will you try to make your own bargain
0: john obviously a pivotal moment in the life of jacob but what is the decision that we make when we come to christ
1: yeah it's so important to get this right i mean we must come to him and we are begging him for forgiveness of sins and we want to acknowledge that jesus christ is lord it's very important to do that But we must also acknowledge that we are unworthy of any grace that he might give us we are worthy of nothing and yet he has made promises and those promises are all in the cross of jesus the promise is this when we come to christ and when we claim the promises of the cross that whoever believes in him has eternal life that's the promise he made You go to God and you say, Lord, I'm claiming that promise. I come to you on the basis of what you've offered.
0: Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series in the book of Genesis right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. From February 7th to 16th, 2020, make plans to join us for our Back to the Bible Canada Laugh Again Southern Caribbean cruise. You'll be sailing the seas for nine days aboard Royal Caribbean's Explorer of the Seas, visiting Aruba, Curaçao, Bonaire, and more. You'll be joining Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, and special friends and musicians, the Weebs. You'll be spiritually enriched and challenged, laugh and be encouraged, and enjoy great fellowship and refreshment. Come on your own or with your family and friends as you enjoy incredible ports of call, everything the ship has to offer, and a week of ministry designed specifically for the occasion. Check it out and get on board at backtothebible.ca or call 1-800-663-2425.